0: Welcome to In This New Season, where we're learning this life again and again. Let me tell you about our sponsor, Ash Green Design. We worked with Ash on a really special project for the podcast, and she turned our vision into a reality and made it seamless every step of the way. Ash and her team joyfully create visual brand identity systems for businesses and events of all sizes. They pour over every detail from the logo, colors, and typefaces to apparel, social posts, and products. Designing the customer's experience at every touch point, they take the guesswork out of your creative projects by providing a clear set of visual brand identity guidelines. You can find out more at ashgreen.design, which is spelled dot design, or find her on social at ashgreendesign. Today, I'm having a talk with my very good friend, Britt Gaudio. And Britt is here. She's visiting from Ontario, staying with us this week. And we thought, why not sit down in the basement and talk about some stuff together? (laughs) So the theme of our episode today is around burnout and specifically finding ourselves in a repetitive cycle where even when we change the environment we're in, we are ending up in a burnout cycle again. So feeling almost like there's a chronic level to that. But before we get into that... Let me just introduce Brett and let you introduce yourself, I guess, because I'll say we've been friends for a really long time. We used to work together in Toronto, and then our friend, our families have just become really close over the years. We love staying with you when we visit Ontario, and we're so happy you're here with us now. We have kids the same age, and you're just a powerhouse of a person, um, But but introduce kind of who you are and what's up in life right now. Sure. So...
1: Uh, I feel like I always start with I'm a mom, (laughs) so I'm a mom of two, four and two. Um, I am an operations executive, so I've always worked in operations and in everything I've done. I am kind of one of those like multi-passionate persons. Mm -hmm. I've consistently shifted kind of what lights me up or what kind of road I go down and what I explore, but always kind of land in a similar operational lens. Uh, I'm a wife and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to sum myself up. <laughs> <laughs> you are so
0: many things. Yeah. You, by operational lens, you mean your brain is brilliant at improving systems
1: is that mm-hmm. right? and
0: like looking at where efficiencies could be found mm-hmm. <laughs> and improved.
1: I can almost not enter any situation. I cannot enter any situation without Figure out how it could be more efficient. <laughs> Either That's I could make it more efficient, or uh, it'll just drive me crazy while I experience the inefficiency of others. But, yeah, um, it's just something inherent in me. I don't, I
0: don't necessarily know what sparked mm-hmm. it, but uh, it's in all facets of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so tell us how you're feeling right now around around this idea of burnout. Like, what's been your relationship mm-hmm. with burnout so far?
1: Yeah, so. Um, you're catching me at the end of a recent role, uh, so I have just transitioned out of a role, a four-year uh, position, and I always kind of find myself working with companies or organizations that are hyper-growth or scale-up or um, looking to do to do those things, and they're currently a hot mess, mm-hmm. and something about me looks at it and is like, totally, I can... I can fix that mess, <laughs> um, but I, uh, I'm I consistently find myself enjoying the process of fixing
0: mm-hmm.
1: the problems that at um, right in front of me. But then I always end up in a place where I'm kind of consistently being taken advantage of, or I feel as if I'm taken for granted, um, and I give so much of myself. Which I believe my employers and my coworkers um, value. Value, yeah, yeah. Um, But it, I've never really found a rhythm of being able to give everything I have to make the impact
0: that I want, and also take care of myself Mm. along the way. Oh, that's so well said. It's like because just knowing you, and I think so many people can relate with this. Me too. um, That. And maybe actually, I'm going to rephrase that. I don't know if so many people can relate to that, but the people who can relate to it really relate to Mm. it. That idea of like, I don't know how to be half in. Like Mm. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. I'm going to treat every job I have as if it was my baby or my own company. And that is so valuable to employers Mm. or to whoever we're working with. But the cost of it can be really personal and and you can bear the brunt of it if it's not a really supportive environment that, that helps you self-regulate that or like take care of yourself if they kind of are just like, great, keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. Mm-hmm. Like where did the pattern, how many times has this happened pre this four-year role? What was happening?
1: Yeah. So I would say it's happened about three or four times. Um, I've, I've starting just, when? Starting. So I my, started my career fresh out of university in a nonprofit organization uh, where you and I worked together, mm-hmm. um, and it was one of those places that you know the the rhetoric was you get paid in an experience, mm-hmm. and so you start out super fresh, you know nothing. I didn't know how to write a proper email, I didn't know how to schedule anything in Outlook, um, and <laughs> they did. They got us as little babies, <laughs> fresh <laughs> they, grads. <laughs> they did, um, and I was always one of those eager students, and and everything I've ever done has been not half-ass. Like, it's a full yeah. ass.
0: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> totally. Go for it.
1: <laughs> um, but, uh, but so I found myself in this organization where you were rewarded by doing that, by, you know, that's how people, you watch people grow in, into manager levels and director levels and and just the personality that I am. Like, it was not an option to enter into this as a junior-level employee and leave as a junior-level employee. Um, You know, at first they dangle a two-year contract uh, in front of you and say, at the end, you'll get a reference letter. Mm. And I was like, "Oh, that reference letter written by that person will mean a lot in my career. And then they dangle, ooh, if you do this, you'll be a manager. And Mm. then if you do this, you'll be a director. And I just kept eating it up. Um, But in order to get there, you needed to make a lot of sacrifices uh, along the way. So you were getting paid in experiences. You were sent all over the world. But you were working crazy hours. Like Mm -hmm. when I look back, I was like, thank goodness I was young because I'm not quite sure how I would do it now. Um, Not quite sure. Certain. certain. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, I always say to my husband now that like, you would not have liked me back then. Like my whole life, my whole identity was that place. Mm -hmm. Uh, It got every waking uh, second of my energy. Uh, And in so many ways, you know, I was, I was grateful for that. I made some incredible relationships I built a, um, a resume and like a. Experience a profile. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I feel like it's one of those places where you're leaving and you're like, I can literally do anything now.
0: Like literally, like just for context, they sent you solo at age what? <laughs> 20 some? 21. 21? Oh my <laughs> God. I was going to say 26. Okay. No, at no. 21, they sent you solo <laughs> to <laughs> India to live for a year yeah. with an entirely Indian-based team, mm-hmm. so people didn't necessarily speak the same language as you. Mm-hmm. Or if they did, you, you culturally it was still going to be a big shift. And you again, can't stress enough, alone <laughs> <laughs> for a year yes. <laughs> to manage all of the programming that was happening in that country. Right.
1: And so in order to get there, obviously you needed to show a little bit of, I don't know, gumption is the only
0: way you and you to i mean i can see why they asked you i would have trusted you to do it too but it's like the point wasn't entirely that you were trustworthy to do that but wow what a thing to be right. asked to do right. and then to say yes to says so much about you really yeah but wow. I, I think at that age like again you're just thinking well when
1: when is this opportunity going to come around again like you're looking at me and, and you trust me and i'm 21 and okay it must be fine yeah right um And so I did, I went, I went there, uh, and it was incredibly challenging. Um, you know, the culture side of things, I had been there a couple of times for work. And so i had kind of, you know, understood generally what I was walking into, but living in a place and visiting a place is really different. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm also extremely (laughs) introverted. Um, and so I don't, you know, I don't make – I'm not someone who can travel solo and make all these friends and walk away with all these connections. Like, I'm kind of a head down. Like, you make eye contact, I'll smile back, of course. Like, I'm a friendly person, but I'm not someone who's going to, like, know how to spark up a conversation. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to build any safe connections there outside of my team. Mm-hmm. But, again, my team were mostly all male and Indian. And so there's levels of, like, like, what is appropriate socially as a female – um, so there was a lot of limitations, and then I was working. I was on call twenty four seven. So yeah, how
0: many days off did you have in that entire three, year? Three days off in a. I'm just going <laughs> to reiterate <laughs> in an entire year. Yeah. So did you come back at all? Did you come? I home? went to
1: Kenya, okay. uh, which felt like coming home. Like Kenya, in comparison to India, was very you
0: know has a bit more
1: of a um, modern take. You know, I could wear shorts and a tank top. Mm -hmm. And And probably socially
0: you were with other
1: um, people from the organization who you're comfortable with. Yeah. 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 And so that felt like a bit of a vacation, I guess, but um, (laughs) I was still working when I was there. Yeah. And so you were literally on, you carried the emergency phone every single day. And I couldn't go anywhere that didn't have cell phone reception, which is a lot of places in Mm -hmm. India and in the surrounding area, right? Like depending on what roads you're crossing and what mountains there are, like you could lose reception. And so it was very limited even when, you know, I wasn't an active, like, you know, I was on a, a Saturday or Sunday and we just had, we had trips in country. I was still responsible for that phone. And so I still have memories of answering the phone. Like, I was in the washroom. I was in the shower. I was on a run around the lake. And, like, you know, it didn't matter what I was doing. Was that only, phone came. Yeah. There was once a time that I dropped my phone in a latrine. <gasps> Oh, I don't no. even know what I should say this. this. Uh, and it was su- such a part of me and it was such a panic that I literally put my hand into a public <laughs> latrine to save the emergency phone. The phone was not saved. My hand is forever changed.
0: <laughs> uh, I can totally um, understand why you just, would do that, the, the urgency and panic of like, right. this is my appendage. I am... <laughs> My job is to be responsible for this phone. Right.
1: Oh no. And so, still, I come at, like I'm, you know, I've been out now for more than ten years, I guess, of that. But uh, I can't have my ringer on my phone. Like the sound of a ringer or a text ding
0: is immediately like, ooh, like, like high a, intensity, uh, anxiety. Reaction. Yeah, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, again, twenty one years old. And the scale of what you were managing wasn't small. You it it was enormous what you were managing, what you were responsible for overseeing.
1: Well, now that I'm a mom, I think about, you know, in the time at the time I felt like you know, you're young and you think you can do anything and, and you're totally responsible. And 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 I was, I was an extremely responsible human. But now as a mom, I'm thinking all of those moms sent their kids to us in that mm-hmm. country to keep them safe. And we did have a—one story rings out where we had, like, a young boy—boy, boy, he was 16—who um, got really sick and had, like, a kind of infection. And it was a whole thing. It was a whole story. I ended up having to take him to the hospital every day of his trip to get cared for. And and I remember passing him off to his mom at the airport. And I could just see this, like, gratitude in her eyes. And now that I'm a mom, I'm thinking, like, yeah, like, the weight of that responsibility is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not quite sure— uh, at that time that I'll be ready to send my kids off to a bunch of 20 somethings but
0: uh yeah it was it was a lot yeah i like the the one trip i did in india um that one i don't know if we can can we talk about the panther <laughs> okay so there was another uh, so we were bringing high school students on these cultural immersion leadership um Volunteer-based trips, and so I was facilitating a trip in India. At the same time, another group was there with high school students, and that group had a incident at the accommodations <laughs> where they were staying. Where, from what, what I understood, is it you correct me, um, <laughs> that a panther a panther came, <laughs> like the animal, uh, a panther, and and there was an attack on the security guard. Yeah. So they were in a very remote town.
1: Um, and all the kids and and the facilitators were in their rooms, but the staff of the accommodation slept on the top of the like kitchen dining room hall. Um, and so the panther was the story is that it was looking for its baby. Typically they wouldn't bother with humans, but it was looking for its baby, and it jumped onto the roof, and and it it did rough someone up. They all jumped off the roof and in various injuries okay, yeah. of that. Um, and then there was these two beloved goose. Uh, oh. Geese, I guess, plural. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like, they were giant that the owner owned, and those two uh, perished in the oh, attack. Oh, my but, goodness. Um, yeah, so I get a frantic call from a facilitator. The cell phone reception wasn't great there, so he had to, like, climb a hill. So I answered my phone to, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh. And he's like, there was a panther attack. And, and you're thinking when someone calls you in that, they're like, is the panther there?
0: Like, yes. Or, or, Are you out on a hill alone? <laughs> With, Oh, my God. We laugh, but, like, you were literally on the receiving end of of like this Panic. kind of call and be and responsible mm-hmm. for dealing with it mm-hmm. yeah. and then there's
1: a lot of like you know uh, intricacies of of living there of like you you're not meant to go on the road at night because there are um Carjackings, especially with tourists, and so you know someone would get sick or hurt themselves at night, and I couldn't move them um and I couldn't put them in a vehicle and so there's just there's a lot uh and it's of a place where you know you bring a bunch of of people from North America and they they get sick and they get hurt, and it's just like a totally different landscape yeah. um so that situation and that role did it was one of my first that ended in in burnout um, I came home and I was just i came home for. Um, I had a, my stepfather was ill. And so it was just kind of the, you need to get home to to Mm -hmm. support and and take care. And so that made the decision a little earlier, easier, I think. Like, I think that was one of the first times where I got to use, I mean, it was a, a sad and challenging excuse, I would say, but I think I would have endured it longer if I didn't have that pull home. Like I think I would have stayed. That
0: gives me chills, Britt. You would have, I bet. Mm -hmm. And I do know why. I can totally see why you were interested with that responsibility. What I remember for you from that time and why it would have seemed like a wise... Choice given among the options, right? Again, mm. twenty-one, <laughs> but um, given the options, you seem much older than that, mm. and absolutely took it to to the like utmost level of responsibility, seriousness. And I know people were truly in good hands. It's just were you in good hands, right? Yeah, yeah. and I think that's the challenge was that you know some of my
1: good friends came, like you came. Um, I had some other friends, and I was able to say like, "Hey, can you send that facilitator?" And it was kind yeah. of like my little touch of home, but they were here for. Two to three weeks and then and then they were gone. And so uh and they often, you know, they're responsible for their own group and there's a lot of responsibilities related to to that kind of in country experience. And so it wasn't like there was a lot of social time or like fill my cup in between. The most thing I did was I exercised. Mm-hmm. So I did um what was it called? Um not P90X, but the insanity insanity, yeah. I did insanity three times in a oh row. My goodness. Um <laughs> I did it, like, (laughs) under my ceiling fan in my apartment because there was no AC. uh, And I would, like, go and do it uh, when I was out in the rural community. And that was just, like, kind of my only grounding thing where I was, like, this is my 30, I think it was 30 minutes a day. Um, And that was nice. I think was, like, probably the only thing I did that was. Okay. I'm just going to (laughs) pause
0: So I've, I've tried insanity unsuccessfully. Like that's a very intense, it's just like for that to be your, your relief, like your end relief to be that specific workout. Like I get it. I get how that can be an anchor to the day. The one thing can guarantee to yourself a a stress release, something you can count on. And it's just, it's just a a bit ironic like that it was that. insanity like called that and it felt like your grounding place Mm. when it was you know for most people that would be the like let's gear up to this (laughs) intensity but by contrast to the rest of your
1: yeah that's true I've never actually it it seemed ground
0: because everything else was so much more intense it was so chaotic I remember I think we got to have maybe one or two meals together the whole time I was there it was Mm -hmm. not a lot yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed,
1: you know, some people would fly in a, a you know a day or two before their trip um, came, and so I really enjoyed being able to show people the the town and introduce them to some of our vendors and like some of that stuff. I really enjoyed, um, but it still was so short lived, and then yeah. also amongst the chaos. So, so when um, you
0: came back, they you got to be done to that role, and they transitioned you to something else.
1: Yeah. So I immediately moved into yet another chaotic role. Um, with a touring um, youth empowerment event. So uh, I ended up having to go back one more time to train the person that was replacing me. Uh, And so I went to India for one week, which is wild by the time you factor in all of the time change. So I went back once more. But How long did that person stay in the role? Another year, I think. Um, It was maybe a little bit longer, but uh, it was another female. uh, And... Yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's a lonely place. It's a hard place to
0: be a female in a leadership role. Yeah. Um, I wonder if the whole time they were thinking, she made it. Mm-hmm. I've got to be able to make it that long, too. Because that was how that organization worked mm. was that you'd look around at other people who seemed similar to you that you really respected and you're like, well, if they can handle it, mm-hmm. it's got. I better figure out how to handle it too. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like if I was struggling to handle something, that was about me, could not possibly be about the expectation or the conditions. Like totally. it was, it just would never have occurred to me to think maybe this is like a larger, like a wider. Issue, mm-hmm. it always felt very personal and like shameful. So I wouldn't have ever even said, I'm, I can't hack this or this feels tricky, right? So I think there was a lot of that. If one person stretched the capacity to say, I could handle it for a year, and I would say they were lucky to, <laughs> like, you would have had an unusually large ability to tolerate that. Mm-hmm. It almost set the precedent for other people to be like, maybe I can handle it that long too, because it, it, like, carves the rat in the road mm. kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> That's just a theory.
1: Maybe, yeah. I, I also think, like, they were specific in the demographic that they needed, right? Like, yeah. it needed to be someone who was single mm-hmm. because, you know, the the pull of a relationship away. You don't even have time for a relationship. That's the other side of, like, yeah. gosh, you would have to have an extremely patient partner. But – um. and I always think back. I was like, I wonder if I would have enjoyed it more if I had a partner or mm. – even a, a co-worker. Even if there camp. had been two of you living there, yeah, Totally. Um, it was the loneliness, I think, that mm-hmm. got me the most and the loneliness of problem solving yeah. uh, the chaos with um, with, with only like a phone call. Like yeah. I was only really calling someone else in Toronto who was trained in the same way as me. And um, it was just, I think it was lonely. And then when you don't have anything else to kind of pull on, you could just. Like you just hyper focus and you're just like okay I'm just gonna give it my all then like what else do I have to do?
0: Yeah. Um, Pre that role, just um, because that was not your first role, did it feel intense and chaotic, or was that was that really a a big shift in how intense life felt?
1: Yeah, I think it always did. That was a really big shift in that. I think it was the loneliness. The other part was. Before, you know, I was speaking and facilitating and, and traveling a ton. And
0: I yeah, because let's just pro- – like, right out of university, your first job there was as a traveling tour speaker. Mm-hmm. So you were being – traveling, at like, across Canada or – I did – Or GTA. I did mostly
1: GTA. GTA, yeah. Um, I did some – across Canada. I was sent to Hong Kong once to do
0: <laughs> to do one speech for a week. And it was um, a new school basically every day. Mm-hmm. You just did, you didn't You did know where you're going. You have to look it up. You have to drive. You get there. You give a presentation to the school. Mm-hmm. You do a workshop for a few hours with a bunch of the kids. And then you do a bunch of reporting. You rinse, repeat next day. Right. And, and you and had to the hit the
1: difference that. with mine was that I was alone. So most of oh, my peers... Oh, you didn't have a partner. Oh, no, I forgot most that. Most of my peers had a partner. And so, I mean, they traveled further distances. So I'm sure there was some logic there. But um yeah, my program I did it
0: all alone. So whoa. <laughs> I I don't think even working there, I don't think that hit me mm. what that was like for people. I only work I only worked with people who were partnered. Mm. I don't think I ever put thought into what it would feel like to do that solo. And to, and even the age I am now my heart is just like you sweet little baby <laughs> child. Like you were so little <laughs> it's like what an incredible again we can we can hold space for the experience mm. profile. Like wow. Mm-hmm. And Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I think,
1: yeah, when I look back, I also think of, like, you know, without a partner, you don't have anyone else's energy to pull you out. It's like you are it. it. <laughs> so you have to be on. Yeah. Um. And I remember, obviously, going into a speech and saying, like, I can't can't say this again. Like I just can't say the same thing. And
0: had to pull it out from thin air.
1: Yeah. You just
0: got to perform. And I'm sure there's a a lot of other careers where you have to do that. But as an, as an introvert too, to be Mm -hmm. a motivational tour speaker would be very draining. (laughs) And you had to find resources that, and and you didn't quit that. Like you did that the whole, you did your whole run, which is a full year, right? Yeah. It was two years. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah. So we didn't start off like in a chill role. We started (laughs) off (laughs) with something that also was incredibly demanding incredibly um, lonesome and trying to just like the strength you must have already had to be able to pull from to be in that position successfully is is pretty a pretty powerful thing to think about at such a young age like so you were 19 yeah, when you started
1: it, that 20 I was oh I was 19 yeah ah. Tw- maybe 20 yeah. I'm blanking at what time of year. But um yeah, I mean, I think the difference with that first segment was that they also put you up in housing mm-hmm. with 15 friends, of, yes of other coworkers, <laughs> it felt like. So it felt like a
0: very natural transition from like university life right. to to this. Um, we both lived in staff housing. I lived with seven females that became really good friends. And you how how many were in your house? I had uh, 10 at one point. And in some um, cases, like shared rooms, yeah. like it was big, <laughs> yeah, we had one shared room with three people in it. Uh, and let's just also mention that you were paid nineteen thousand dollars for this. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> I came out of school with, I think, eighteen thousand dollars in debt, And my first job was nineteen thousand dollars. And I remember thinking, oh, this is never going to
0: never going to go down, and the idea was, we lived for free in the right. sense that like our housing was paid for, so our salaries were less, and then we got to do all this experience-based stuff, but but still worth You were still living in noting. Toronto. We were living in downtown <laughs> Toronto.
1: <laughs> so, like, the cost of living outside of maybe rent of groceries or dining mm-hmm. out or, like, just parking or transportation, like, it was all, like, your whole paycheck went to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And very little to the
0: debt that I came out of school with. Yeah, and, like, good thing we were so busy we had no time to do any other activities. That's honestly
1: (laughs) the only saving grace was that I truly didn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I didn't – I traveled for most Christmases, all holidays I was gone. Um, On trips for the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think I – I think I went five or six years without being home for a major holiday because I was gone.
0: Wow. Um, So – so, yeah, yeah so. so started off intense, jumped to <laughs> India, which was good intense times five million, yeah. <laughs> came back to to run to to go on tour, which was mm-hmm. literally traveling all the time in these stadium mm-hmm. events, like intense pressure, intense uh, pace, I would say, right. and just like high, high stakes. And you were in a uh, important role,
1: yeah. So that it had grown from two stadium size events a year. Um by the time I left, we were at fourteen.
0: Yeah, um, including international,
1: including the UK, yeah. the US, and Canada, um, and so it was. It was again a a scale up, a grow growth, hyper growth environment. And when you were planning for an event, you were full in. So you know there was blackout times for vacation. You weren't allowed to book anything personal. Um and then you were traveling for the other six months out of the year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you basically did you did three days of like when would load-in be? Loading was three three days in most cases, and you worked probably my team specifically was the first one in the venue and the last one out. What time? Sometimes 5 6 a.m., depending on when the trucks arrive to be unloaded. And then because I also ran the venue relationship, I also was, like, the last one out. Uh, so there was an event in the U.K. where I worked 22 hours. And I went home to my hotel and I showered. And I think I laid horizontal for a few minutes. And then I went back. And I distinctly remember at the end of that event walking down a hallway doing, you know, the venue checks. And quite literally falling asleep <laughs> walking. Like, I, like, closed my eyes. My, I blinked too hard. Um, and that was... That was half of your year. Yeah. Um, and it's also quite repetitive because you, you know, you do the traveling, you execute the events. A lot of it is rinse and repeat. Obviously, there's nuances to venues and, uh, you know, the the differences that come with each region and all of those things. But I always struggled with the repetitiveness of it, of, like, of knowing what was about to come and, like, knowing the stress
0: and being, having to walk into every day and be like, okay, I know.
1: I know this is going to be and hard. And the output,
0: like knowing what, how much energy was going to be required to get through that given mm-hmm. day. Because it's not like it was starting early and ending late with some breaks in the middle. It was full on the entire day directing what needed to happen. Like right. boom, 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 boom. I had two walkies
1: at all times and a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And so there's pictures of me in venue where I've got like two walkies going and a cell phone in my ear and headphones on. Um, And again, as an introvert, I really struggled with that. Just like the stimuli all oh my day gosh, long, and yes. you would get what we called walkie ear when you leave the venue and you take your headphones off and your earpiece off, and all you hear is talking in your head. Right, it's <laughs> like crazy.
0: Oh um, my goodness!
1: And so, and then you know you get these tricks like you're on your feet for 19 to 20 hours and you you have to like, we would have multiple shoes because if you changed your shoes. It would feel a little more than, manageable. And I mean, better. then we
0: were eating pretty much granola bars and pizza. <laughs> so I got intense about what I was
1: eating. So again, maybe I do this. I like did Insanity in India in, on mm-hmm. tour. I quite literally packed my own food.
0: Yeah, to I have would control over cook, that. To,
1: yeah, I would put it in my suitcase. Yeah, uh, and I would fly across wherever um, with my food because I, I they only fed you pizza bagels in the morning, pizza at lunch, and dinner was sometimes a little bit more uh, balanced. And I just found like I can't do it. Like I can't yeah. do this type of work without eating properly. Yeah. And everyone kind of joked, and you know, I ended up negotiating a higher per diem because I was like, I'm not eating that food. I'm I'll buy my own. And I was like, this is. My cope, I think, like a coping yeah. mechanism, control maybe, but
0: also probably just strategically. Like, if you want me to run like this, I need different fuel. Mm-hmm. I know they had stations set up for what were those shots we could get? Uh, oh
1: yeah, we would get B twelve shots, shots in our in yeah. our butt <laughs> to try to survive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, even if you think of that, like yeah. what? I'm yeah, all for, not for, enough <laughs> questions asked. Like, I was just, I was like, how nice of them to like. That's so. I, I remember thinking like, generous. wow.
1: <laughs> but then also I think back now that I've explored, like, you know, I have a naturopath and all of that. And I was like, this woman didn't question. She would just tour just, with us just, and shoot us in the butt and send us back out to <laughs> to keep working and everything. We had
0: no context of any other work experience, most people, right? And so it was just, it, was it felt really exciting and we wouldn't have known what to ask. And yeah. it was amazing what we were what we were pulling off. Like, I can hold both in my brain. It's mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was I, I had a brief stint on a walkie um i <laughs> for, for maybe one one season of the event, I was um on issues, so I mm. would sit at the front and and I had to listen to the issues line on the walkie, and I was so not cut out for that. Oh my <laughs> dear God, I was like I stress dreams. There was a moment backstage in be- during the when the show was on where so many people were screaming into the issues line at me and I froze and I felt like I had a panic attack. And I just, I like truly I had, I like viscerally can remember being like shaking and not knowing how, how I was going to get through that moment because I couldn't respond to any of them. Mm. And so it just, it took, and that's where I was just kind of like, um, not for me. Like I don't, I must not be cut out for this is what I was thinking. Cause I was looking around at people like you and other people who were seemingly managing it without kind of like like thriving it looked like mm. under the stress and intensity and i was like put me up in those booths with the like let me go chat with people <laughs> That's what they did. I got put up to talk to the, the people <laughs> to in the shrews? Yeah. The donors? Uh, which I don't even like, but I was like, I'm safer up here. It's
1: <laughs> so. <That's> so funny <laughs> that you say that because I, I find if I were to pull a common theme out of all of my situations of burnout, like, I am a very high performer until I'm not. Mm. And then I look around and I'm like, what? Like, everyone else is doing it. Like that person is able to handle this and that person has stayed longer than me and that person isn't melting down. And why am I here now? Um, and it's almost like a gaslighting situation mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, like you should like, you know, this is totally manageable and this is totally reasonable and the to- the expectations yeah. are, are fair. Um, and I think I found that in every situation, like with the event, um, I found that There are times, there are parts of me that really thrive on the adrenaline of issues. You know, like uh, we were in Chicago and there was intricacies around what communities could be together and, and some, you know, violence that could happen. And I really loved the logistics of like working with the local people and understanding like, okay, well, this school's coming in. They can't subside this school. And and I I really thrive in like that. Like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, we had situations with like kids who ran away as part of the event and we had to find them. Oh, wow. We had drug use and we had, there there wasn't a single event that didn't have a major issue. And in the moment, I do very well with that. But there's something I think it may just be like because I didn't quite figure out how to recoup from that. So like I may perform well in that situation, but then I don't do what I need to do to like
0: Mm, come down, fill my
1: cup again, or Mm -hmm. or um, support my nervous system like regulate in a better way. So it was just like that after that after that, that. and so eventually I just like ended in in total burnout, Um, and I think that's where I struggle with just constantly finding myself. Doing that, where like, mm. if you were to ask anyone I've ever worked for, they will always describe me in the same way. But every relationship or every role has ended in, in a place that I just like wish I could have tied it up with a tiny bow instead of like it's almost like a crash and burn kind
0: mm-hmm. of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, because you get to a point where you're like, it, it's not doesn't feel like you could carry on anymore. Right, it just hurt it. It physically hurts. Mm-hmm. emotionally hurt, like all of it is just like, the, I gave you, litter, I'm down to, I'm past fumes here. Mm-hmm. There's just literally nothing.
1: Yeah, like, it's like you teach people how to treat you, right? And mm-hmm. so I think, I mean, maybe there's truth in that, or maybe that's just what's been told to me. But I think, you know, I showed them that I can do it, and I just did it over and over again. They just kept taking because it served them or served the growth or whatever purpose, uh, and then I just ran out of reserves, and they were like, "What?
0: Mm-hmm. What? what do you mean?" And didn't weren't able to su- to support you in that place to say, "Okay, what do you need?" No, you'd no. think that would be a natural. Like, like if we could go back in time, I would be like, "My God, what an asset you are! Um, look at what you're doing." If she's tired, that checks out. Perhaps <laughs> we should <laughs> we should support that instead of. Like it does, or, or I guess I'm wondering if there was the opportunity, how hard would that be for you to articulate it? That I need I probably didn't have the
1: language back, back then. then. I remember yeah. when I was leaving the organization, uh, I focused a lot on, uh, I just felt like I wasn't making enough money. Yeah. <laughs> in comparison to where I needed to be at, you know, <laughs> well, I was. Well, that's
0: also just like <laughs> I factual. Wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: wasn't. I um, wasn't. But also the alternatives were really only upwards growth. And that just meant more stress and more yeah. demands and not a ton more money, to be honest. No. Nope. And so it kind of felt a little bit like I had reached the end of the road. Um and so transitioning out of that, it was it was more of um I, I positioned it around money,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which it really wasn't like. I mean, I did definitely need more money, but there was a lot more to it that I could have articulated perhaps, but...
0: Wait a second. So when you left India, you you positioned it around family support. When you left the organization, you positioned it around, I'm ready for upward growth and different, like a mm-hmm. salary. In both cases, the truer truth was I am burnt out mm-hmm. and I need support and I don't know how to ask for that. I don't even think I knew... What burnout was? I just knew that I was tired and not beyond your capacity, and yeah. And did it feel unspeakable almost to just say, "I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore."
1: Well, sorry, this came just came to me. We had I had a boss right above me who, my last season, had uh, a bit of a break, um, and it was an extremely hard season. Our our warehouse provider went bankrupt. Two weeks before we left on tour, and because we were a org- um, nonprofit, it was in-kind warehouse, and so all of our assets in the warehouse were not ours technically. Like we didn't have any inventory mm. of them, we didn't have, we didn't pay for space, Ooh, and laugh. so um there was this big event where maybe I shouldn't go into the details, but we needed to get the assets out of the warehouse. Now that I know as an adult the, the legitimacy of bankruptcy and and what is required, you weren't actually supposed to take it. Um, Anyway, it was quite stressful. We ended up losing a bunch of things, and, and it was a ripple effect on the whole season. And my boss, um, we were about to leave for Vancouver, and she just called, and she's like, can't do it. Can't go. And the way the organization dealt with that was all I needed to know about what was what room what there was, was for my yeah. mental health. Yeah. To this day, she really struggles with the way she was dealt with. Um, mental health was, like, not enough—like, Mental yeah. health was not as an excuse for not showing up for your team, and in the end, you know, we I ended up taking her role in partnership with someone else, and the just the rhetoric around it, the, like it was not acceptable, and she what was, was totally the like, Couldn't hack it. Could, what?
0: Couldn't hack it. Yeah. Um. Like how how could she do that? Let to her everyone team? down. Uh, you exactly. I'm getting chills again because I was just I'm thinking about how that's it. You were again let's just 22 23 24 we're still young young Brit here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're looking around no other work experience except within that organization and seeing how from the top down how it's being treated to hit a limit right which is limits do not exist except right. in your mind and you, they better if if you they better not actually exist right. here <laughs> right you yeah. get the job done period period
1: yeah and i remember at the end of that tour i was we had one more show left, and I was on a plane. And somehow, in my brain, I realized we left a pallet of books in the venue. I oh could, I could picture where the pallet was. Somehow, every person missed putting this on the truck, and I was only, on, I was on a plane. I was just yeah. literally nothing I could do, and I had a full-on panic attack. And I remember thinking, like, what am I doing? Like, how am I letting this affect me? Nobody's going to miss those books, and if they are, we can solve it. But in that moment, it felt so big and so, so big. insurmountable, yeah. and s- like I was letting my team down. And yeah. it was just like this moment of like,
0: I. It has to end. That's literally how I describe the time being there. Was this feeling of like the balls are not allowed to drop. No. And dear God, if one do- did, it, it was like such a personal failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I carried that with me, and I think
1: whether that's like a personal trait of mine and it was just supported, or if it just happened to be the way that it was modeled to me such in such an impressionable time in my career, I've carried that forward into every role I have, which
0: maybe answers the question of why burnout keeps happening. Fuel Your Body is an island-based subscription meal service offering premium, high-protein meals. They offer over 70 choices, and they rotate, and their produce is all sourced locally and cooked fresh weekly. There are 11 convenient pickup fridge locations across PEI, or you can opt for home delivery where your food will arrive in cooler bags with ice packs, which is very convenient. So convenient. That's what we've been doing. And it is amazing. (laughs) I think that Fuel Your Body makes such an amazing gift for somebody who just had a baby. Yes. Yeah. I also know with adjusting to kindergarten in our house, having my lunches ready to go has made the morning go so much smoother. For you, our lovely listeners, they have given you 25% off your first order using the code FYBSEASON, spelled out. And you can order yours today at eatfyb.ca. What about pre-working there? Like what what was burnout out in your life in university, as a kid growing up in school? I was always someone who really needed to work.
1: I I always got good grades. Everyone always liked me as a student and as a peer but i had to work really hard for it like nothing nothing came easy i had to study
0: mm-hmm.
1: a lot um and i gave so much yeah i've I've, I've always given a lot of, of myself i did a lot of volunteer stuff you was, stretched yourself thin during mm-hmm. those years
0: mm-hmm. did you were you in haiti a lot yeah, yeah that's what i remember
1: yeah. yeah i volunteered in the summers yeah um and so,
0: so would you have felt exhausted in university?
1: Oh yes, I distinctly remember saying, "University is bad for my health."
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> so the pattern definitely started sooner.
1: <laughs> university. But I always attributed that to just like I wasn't a good student, like I wasn't someone who it came naturally, and so I always kind of thought like you know, even I talked to my husband, and I swear he he's just really smart, and mm-hmm. so and he was in the science stream, and like he was like, yeah, I didn't really. I didn't really study, and I was like, "What do you mean? What do you mean you didn't study? I literally lived in the library.
0: Yeah, Um, and I was always so stressed and so and to get what kind to get results that it that felt so uh, because I like when I used to teach kindergarten, there were kids who um, would come in and certain things came easily academically. They already Mm. they could just pick up reading, they could just pick up writing. Math came easily, and then there were kids who They worked a lot harder to Mm -hmm. get not as strong results, at least in that zone of times. Yeah. But then when I left the school and started teaching piano, I had a lot of the same kids come with me. And what Mm. was super interesting (laughs) was that a lot of the kids—everyone hits a ceiling in piano. Like At Mm. some point, piano gets tough for everybody. You can't—you just kind of work until somebody's at that place. The kids who school had come easily for really, really struggled when they got to that, when they hit that wall, because for some of them it was the first time they'd ever hit a wall in their whole life. So their frustration tolerance was really low. So they were used to, I give this much effort, I get this great result. Woohoo! The kids mm. who I had already known struggled. In, and maybe they got fine results but I just knew they worked a lot harder to get those results and they knew it like they almost looked around there like I, I have to work more at this mm-hmm. but in piano when they hit that wall no problem they were just like I'm used to I work hard and working hard is okay with me and I'm comfortable with being frustrated. I have mm-hmm. already built that skill and they had incredible results and I thought at the time I wasn't a mom yet and I thought I I think there's something to that. I would like my kids to have a—because I have I have a, a tolerance with, fr, like, frustration. I don't think as much—not everything comes easily. And I always felt like I had to work hard relative to other people um, to get good results. But, like, I have thought about how that's a gift. And in your case, I'm thinking—it sounds like you were really, really used to working really hard to get results. mm mm-hmm and then when you got out in the working world you still knew how to do that perhaps you were stronger at that than than some of the other people who we were working with but you were starting to get rewarded almost more directly for your efforts where in school it sounds like you worked really hard but your 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 efforts were rewarded but not like not in proportion mm-hmm. and i know at that organization the harder you worked the better period the better results you got the more rewards you got. That's
1: true. And in school you're held you're all held to the exact yeah. same standard and there's no way to be good in a different way or to yes. um
0: set yourself apart show
1: your worth differently. Yeah. Um I think that is really interesting cuz I think like I I've never identified as someone who was just really good at something. Like nothing was inherently in me. Like not a musician. I'm not an artist. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not good at math. I can't, like, you try to solve, throw a math problem at me and my brain literally, like, shut off. Um, but what I am good at is being thrown an issue or a challenge and just figuring it out. Being
0: willing to stay in it longer and face the stress of it longer than most other people will. Mm. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And so I think, I mean, that checks out in terms of just being comfortable enough with the uncomfortable
0: until I could. Did your worth start, did you start to feel um, your worth was being made visible to other people for the first time when you were at, started working? Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah. For sure. I think, you know, I was also the first one to go to university in my whole family. Wow. Um, and so there was so much of what I was building that was, that was new and kind of unchartered territory. And I think, um,
0: what did you feel valued for as a kid? Um, uh, being e- easy,
1: mm-hmm. like you know, I had teenage parents, mm-hmm. and um, I think I was rewarded for being a good girl and like mm-hmm. having it all together and not causing
0: mm-hmm.
1: a whole ton of ruckus. I remember I had like and not a, saying,
0: "Hey, I need help over here," right.
1: Yeah, and there wasn't ton, there wasn't a ton of help or offers mm-hmm. for help. Um, it was very much you were rewarded for being independent.
0: I was rewarded for being independent. And I'm not just needing. nothing but chills in this episode. <laughs> I'm like my full body here. I'm like, do you hear your, Do you hear what you're saying? Like, think flash, flash forward to India.
1: Yeah, you know it's it's true, I, and I think I started to kind of identify that as a bit of a superpower in terms mm-hmm. of being the reliable one. Um, and even in my most recent role, like, you know, the, I was th- with this company during a pandemic and we all looked at each other and we're like, we don't, no one knows what to do. And there were the people that were like totally frozen and there were the people who were like, we're just gonna pretend it's not happening. And then there was me being like, okay, we gotta figure it out and let's totally pivot. And the entire shift. Of the company and the survival of the company landed on me, Um, and there was a power in that. Like Mm -hmm. a, I where everyone else was like, "Am I going to get laid off? Am I I losing my job?" I kind of knew I was good because I had made myself useful, yeah, uh, and responsible and and reliable, Mm -hmm. and yeah,
0: I think I've done that over and over again, Mm -hmm. and have had a hard time being able to say, Hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, this actually doesn't feel good to me. I could use a little support. And it sounds like that wasn't something you've ever been able to say or, or like, there weren't people who were like, do you growing up that were really receptive to giving you that?
1: Growing up? No, I think, you know, I had a few key people who were kind of always in my corner and I think they could identify that, um, you know, they, I I wasn't getting that, but but did you ask them for it or they just picked up on it? I de- definitely, just picked up on it. Yeah. Um. I never. I've. Ne- I'm still really not good at asking for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my most recent role, I it was the first time that I had asked for help. That I had kind of raised the flag and was like, "This is not sustainable. I cannot
0: do this." Uh, and just context, you're 34.
1: 34. You were yeah. the
0: VP of operations? I was. Yeah, and first time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I didn't get it, which is probably the most challenging time when you know you evolve and you're like, okay, you know, I I have all these tools in my toolbox now and I know how to articulate what I need and I know how to um navigate those kind of challenges and and then being in the situation again and kind of raising the flag and being told like you know, I got a lot of don't be so sensitive or mm. just let him cool off mm-hmm. or um, you know how it is. It's never going to change. And I was like, that's unfortunate as someone who is giving everything I've got. And as a mom, you're like, that time is even more valuable, right? You're like, "Yeah." do you understand how much I'm giving you and what that takes away from my family when I'm giving that to you? Uh, and so... Yeah, it's hard cuz I'm like, yeah, all you have to do is ask for help and and you'll get it. And I think it was one of those situations where I was like, well, what what's the point then?
0: Why ask for help? Why Because the culture just- wasn't supportive of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's Yeah, and then and that's such a setback whenever it took so much to get to the point to ask. Like I can imagine that would have felt awful and mm-hmm. very disappointing. You're yeah. out there like you made you put yourself out there to ask. What did you ask for, do you remember?
1: My my boss in particular um, would, had just become the only word I can think of as a little unhinged, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of our conversations were happening one on one or without the visibility of others. And so I had just called one of the other C suite um, members and just said, like, you know, you have you have voting power here. You have um, I know you see my value. I know that you you know that I. And do good work here. But this, I can't do this. Like, I cannot let someone speak to me like this. I cannot endure
0: this. And it's good I, I, for you though, Britt. Good for you. Is that the the first time that you actively like didn't just get out of an environment that you could no longer endure, but tried to say, I'm struggling to endure this. Can we change it so that I might be able to endure it?
1: I yeah, I believe it was the first time. Um I had done it twice in the same role. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think about, like, I have quit before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went back because they were really struggling. And I was like, okay, I'll come back for a short amount of time. And here's all my boundaries. I don't work Fridays and I don't work after three so I could pick my kids up. And none of them are respected. But um, I had asked before. And they it was kind of this running joke of, like, "Fred's never going to leave. Like, she's not She's not going anyway. She says she is. And, you know, she she pushes back on. You know, the the way people are treated here and there. She's the more vocal one, but she's going to stay forever. And so when it came around again, where I was like, you know what? I wouldn't let a single human speak to me like that outside of this workplace. Like, if it was my husband, we'd be having problems. If it was yeah. anyone else in any other situation, it would be a non-starter for me. But somehow, that individual feels as if they're justified in speaking to me like that. And then I had to say, like... No more. No yeah. more. And, and so I asked for help hoping. It was kind of like my last ditch effort. And then I got, you just got to let him cool down. And I was like, nope. Nope. Here's my resignation. I'll be gone immediately.
0: Um, what a way to have your own back for real. Yeah, To I recognize think- for yourself what you needed, to advocate for it, to also realize that them saying, like being non-responsive, doesn't mean that you're unreasonable.
1: I think the challenge I'm still sorting through is, well, I have a partner who's still there and complains in the same way I did, but is still there. So what's wrong with me? Why like can't I handle partner? it?
0: Yeah. Right, which is exactly the culture of where we came, the organization we worked in. Exactly. Which, and when you were saying, like when we were talking about the events, the big events where you would look around and think... I've been handling it, handling it, handling it, and all of a sudden I can't handle it anymore, but look, they're still handling it, so what's wrong with me? Because the culture was one of silencing Mm -hmm. that kind of capacity limit, like hitting your limit, Mm -hmm. and we were all looking around, comparing ourselves silently and individually trying to measure up to these standards, even though people were struggling internally, but being afraid to speak it Mm -hmm. because it was so under, it was not an, as we were saying from the top down, it just wasn't modeled. It wasn't acceptable. It was not part of being Mm -hmm. a culture carrier. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was, we did, we carried that all internally, invisibly, and tried for it to not be real. And it sounds like that's still, um, like when you're thinking back to where the workplace you just left seeing somebody else who's still there, who for the record also came from that place <laughs> that we all worked at it's true. Um, the fact that they are still there doesn't mean that something is weaker about you mm. I, I don't think of a there's not a single soul who could hear this conversation <laughs> and think, oh Brit what a weak one <laughs> And secondly, okay, if that's the measure, I don't want to be strong. Like if that's, if we're like, okay, you can't handle that culture anymore, so there's a weakness, what does the word even mean? Like Maybe that's a good thing. Great. I'm weak too. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think that's what it came down to. I really struggled, you know, with letting people down and... I had, I had worked so hard to shield my team from the chaos that was what i dealt with on a regular basis and so by leaving they're not shielded anymore yeah. um and so it was a it was a really hard i wish it was an easy decision i wish it was just like i'm gonna stand in my power moment and i'm gonna stand up for myself it wasn't that easy it was i i recognize this is wrong and i recognize i deserve better but 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 but
0: but that's my how you felt leaving me. the the one the organization we worked at too. Every single shift, you had. I remember that being. Um, you you were saying it felt like like your loyalty was there, so mm-hmm. you felt really guilty leaving, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we all. It, it felt like to leave something that's so all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Until you're far enough outside of it, it it hold, it has a hold on you that kind of paints the whole world. Mm-hmm. And I think you you did step into something else after that 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 stretched you, that allowed you to have more income at least. Mm-hmm. And then you've continued to stretch into these bigger, bigger roles with more kind of you know financial gains, but culturally may have maintained a certain thread. Mm-hmm. And there is a a world in which you can be outside of those types of cultures. Period. Um where you 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 get to be the literal, like the culture carrier in the truer sense of the word, like in the sense of you can set the tone because you are such a true leader. And I think that it should be you who is making these calls, that is looking out, that has the ability to think and and kind of set the tone from the top of how we embody capacity and make that okay. Mm-hmm. And how we can ask for help and how we can set up systems to get what we need. Like you, you are who should be running these things. And, and, and if you shift into entrepreneurialism, which is um, a natural fit for you, mm-hmm. because you have treated every job you've ever had as if it was, as, as if the responsibility was so much more than a job was like, I, you treat it like you own it. And when we own something, we treasure it
1: mm-hmm. and you've
0: taken care of things In that way of like, if no one were watching, I would still act with such integrity. Like that's just who you are, which lends itself super well to running your own thing where you won't have, where it's just, it's like you respecting your own needs, which it sounds like you've come so far in being able to recognize what they even are and give yourself space. And you also know that your worth is so much more than not having needs, that Mm. being super just handling it. Like right. you can still, you have so much worth and you can have limits. And that can be part of your worth is being able to be a like a leader or a a, a tone setter with mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you, whatever you do, if it's totally solo, if it's with your partner, or if you end up having a team that you hire, they're going to be so lucky to have your, your influence really to guide that mm-hmm. as you've come through so many environments <laughs> that have It sounds like there's a little kind, maybe a child part of you that had hoped that your goodness would be, you wouldn't have to ask that somebody like on the outside would just be able to notice and give you what you need. Mm. And then, and like sort of mind read it because you had, how could you possibly know how to ask? And especially if no one's letting you know, that would be acceptable and you can. Right. But your growth is just so remarkable to me because we're still talking about a relatively short timeframe of one's <laughs> life um, to get to a place where you, where you recognize you have needs, you know that they're okay. It's hard to speak them, but you did it. Like I wish that growth was just that simple, where we're just like, "See you later, toxic job. <laughs> I'm so chill about it." But every change we make hurts like heck because it's so different, it's so uncomfortable. It's so, it's really so painful. But you did it, and so mm. that you can't undo like the evidence of where you've grown through already.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for saying that. I think I think that's helpful. I'm also so fresh in this yeah. transition. Um, yeah, it was a few days ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so the the last two weeks of it were so emotionally draining to the point where on my last day, I couldn't even get through the final meetings without tearing up and choking up because it was just like, it was just, I was done. I was I was empty, um, and and I was so sad about the way that it ended. And so, like to me, it was like I have this massive legacy there. I that place has my fingerprints all over it, uh, and then I just disappear. And it's and it just felt I have such a moral compass of like mm-hmm. what is right and wrong, and it just felt so wrong that the person who did the did the terrible things gets to just continue yeah. on and the person who's fighting to make them better just gets to disappear um
0: on the micro on the micro i as someone outside of that world it's just like so apparent from over here that it's like oh i'd so rather be you in that situation though there's no there that's not you can't win when you um, are causing like harm that way that that mm. never. It may come out okay for them, you know, financially or whatever. But in the big picture, I just don't think that that's. It's true. You're I think, moving in the direction of joy.
1: And anyone you were to ask, I mean, I felt a lot of guilt about my team and and you know the side conversations. We didn't. I didn't even speak about why I was leaving, but everyone knew. And, you know, they just said like, "Listen, like this does not undo. This does not undo it." No. Um, you know, I was able to grow under your leadership, and and there was a lot of feedback in those final moments that I was like, okay, it's all right. not all for naught. Of course, it's not. Yeah, and and also, I think the biggest thing that pushed me through was like, what would I want my kids to do? Yeah, like if if they were to ask me, what would, what did you say? I I would want them to go. Why? I want them to to leave because nobody should treat you like that anywhere worth.
0: And what if they said, but what that? about my team? I would. Hmm.
1: I think there's like there's an importance to, you know, you don't want you don't want to raise little humans who go through and look out for number one only. Mm-hmm. There's definitely value in considering other people, but not at the expense of your mental health. Yeah. And so first you have to take care of you. And you don't need to set the I didn't set the place on fire when I left, and no. there's so many ways that I could
0: have. Uh but I didn't. Um but I you think. modeled quietly. You modeled, mm. but you modeled uh, res- self-respect quietly. Mm-hmm. And then I would think that there's power in that. Yeah. Because in the same way I was saying, when you tolerated a year and probably would have gone longer in India, you created the groove in mm. the track. You created a groove this way, too, mm-hmm. by leaving. Everything you did there was a groove, but leaving is a groove, too, where mm-hmm. it allows a path for other people to more easily... And uh, mm-hmm. follow because of the choices that you make like you do have that effect you are as I like you just are meant to be a leader in so many so many senses of the word right and so if you're going to have that effect you can every action you take is going to have that uh result like people right. people falling into your grooves yeah
1: yeah, and I think about my kids asking me, you know, years from now like, how did you handle that situation? And I don't I couldn't look I couldn't look at them and say like, I just stayed. Like yeah. what does that say about my own sense of self-worth? Yeah. Four uh, years wasn't
0: a a short time, <laughs> right? Like it's not like There was a Matt in yeah, there, but yeah. I was still very connected. But yeah, uh, you you it was a good run. <laughs> and and a lot of internal growth it seems like throughout that journey mm-hmm. of being there to get to the point of you being like, what if all I have known are environments where, um, where they're not too dissimilar from this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And even in your childhood, it feels like a a lot of the time you were sort of left to figure stuff out and to try to do that quietly and to just kind of carry the weight of that alone. Mm-hmm. And and I imagine that that there's so much, so many um assets that have come through that. And at the same time. Like the flip side of that coin is figuring out that you don't always have, you can have value without having to always be the person to figure everything out, mm-hmm. and and that you're allowed to have a limit and you're allowed to ask for help and all of these things you'd want for your kids in a heartbeat. It's true.
1: Yeah. One day I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll collect all those learnings and apply them consistently. <laughs>
0: That's um. what we're all trying. Listen, <laughs> applying them, shot, <scattershot>, good enough. <laughs> it's there. Yes. I've learned it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, I'm so excited for what's going to come next for you. Mm, like, we're you. only just seeing the start. And it is, I really just think it was such a um, an act of self-love and a vote on yourself and of having your own back and of saying, I understand my own needs. I'm going to respect them and it i literally don't need anyone else to validate them that's how important like they're real and i think that that is one of the most powerful examples you could possibly set
1: yeah thank you yeah i i think just one last thought on that was just i did scramble around looking for validation and i and it, even if the people were saying the right things it still didn't work and so i i, I was forced yep. to to figure it out for me like what was the right answer for mm-hmm. me um so it was probably one of the first times where I didn't just do it because, you know, my friend told me to or my boss told me to or my my mom or my, you know, someone else. I did it because they were all saying, they've been saying it. If you ask my husband, he's been saying it for years. Um, they were all saying, get out, get out. And I, I always, I was like, no, it's not landing. It's not it's yeah. not the drive for me. So this was the first time where I was like, I made that. I, I was forced to make the decision
0: myself before I felt it was the right one. So, what does feel exciting for next? Like next, what what does your heart want? Mm, I have a
1: very clear vision of um, an entrepreneurial venture where I will hopefully be partnering with my husband uh, in building a design organization and renovation
0: company. <laughs> And for, for in case we haven't connected the dots, her husband is Nick Gaudio, who was on the the being, a, like, the, the job of being a dad episode. So right. They're amazing. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> so tell them more. What would that look like? So
1: we've always had, like, this has just been our thing since we started. You know, we bought our first house and gutted it and renovated it in 27 days. And that was my first venture. I had never once done anything. I think the most pull I'd seen um, is that as a kid... I had to reorganize and reset my space at least once a month. And you mm. could find me on a Saturday night pivoting a couch 18 times to move it. Or um, <laughs> I've always been someone where my space was really important yeah. to me. And so in our first home, he came from construction. And that is something he grew. He grew up on a construction site. And so he's super handy. And he walked into this dump of a house and was like, totally, this is our dream house. And I was like, I- come again i don't see it like the man hasn't vacuumed in 15 years and there's mold i just i couldn't see it and so going through that process we're we're a very good mix where Mm. i i eventually got the vision and was able to kind of put the design and and um, And project management mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. and he's he he knows how to fix really he can hands-on do it yeah right um and so we've just continually done that over and over again. We just we just built our um, own cottage ourselves, and yeah, I literally like, drew like the plans from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I drew the plans on a piece of paper and then sent it to an architect to make it safe. Um, and so we've just found this is this is not only a passion for us, but it's something we're good at. And yeah. we've had a number of polls where people are like, "Help us." do that like we're you know, we're kind of working with these people who they want to have a hand in their space and they want to do things themselves and they want to learn new skills and they, you know, have a vision may be incomplete. and uh, you know they're just looking for someone to kind of help them tie it all together and help them um, figure it out, uh, w- whether it be materials or tools or what pillow goes here, what chair goes there, what color do I paint this wall, those types of things. Um, and so we're we're kind of bridging the gap between, like, full-service contractor and designers and total do-it-yourself or YouTubers and looking to create a bit of a service where we can kind of pull the vision together for you and be in your back pocket and support you through whatever project, design, organization, or renovation that you're taking on and know that you just have someone there who can, you know, voice note you or text message or, or video chat or whatever it is Um Oh,
0: I love and that. I'm really excited. You two about would be it. so good at this. I just, I can just. <laughs> Nick's coming for the HGTV show. <laughs> I could see it. I really could see you guys having a show. Yes, and you have you're like an organ. Your organization brain, like your ability to put to think things through from that sort of operations lens and make things operational, like make mm-hmm. things actionable, and then his ability to to just like with the know how, more of the, I guess like. Like, the hard the, skills, like yeah, like mm-hmm. we're, what? A, how do you install stuff? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be really exciting. Thank and you. what is? Where can they find you?
1: Well, the company we're just starting out is called Well Nested Living. So well dot nested dot living on Instagram,
0: uh, and yeah, follow along. We're in the beginning journeys. And we will. We'll share it on our Instagram too, so you can All find right. it in the show notes for today's episode. Awesome, Brett. Thank, Thank you. you for popping down to the basement with me <laughs> to talk on, a, on your vacation so we could just get in there. This was great. I think you know how much I love you. I love
1: you too.
0: And I am so excited. I'm so, I'm just like, I just think it's so, it's so, it makes my heart so happy to see you stepping outside of something that isn't making you feel like the, the happiest heart version of yourself that you deserve Mm. to feel. And I really think that this new venture will.
1: Thank you. Thanks for being in my corner.
0: Always. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening.